Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Media Voices, we're the media focused podcast that takes a look at all the news and the views from the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. That clip you just heard was from my interview with Hannah Taylor, editor and founder for The Delicate Rebellion, a biannual independent print magazine with a creator's collective focused on sharing experiences how to get on as an independent female creative. We spoke about how uninspiring teachers led Hannah to eventually start her own magazine, encouraging women to follow their creative passions. I love it. I love it. The best motivation to do anything is spite. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a big part of it. Yeah. To begin with, though, we're going to do the news roundup, and I want the two of you to pitch me this, because while I'm behind it in principle, I don't see how it's going to work in practice. So Twitter has announced paid super follows, which are going to let you charge for extra content on its platform. So it follows their acquisition of newsletter platform review a fortnight ago, which we sort of said presage them going into this kind of subscription mentality. And it's effectively, one of you's written here, Patreon, but linked to your Twitter account. That was going to be my pitch, so that's my pitch. <laughs> okay, all right, great. <laughs> that was so quick. What form is this actually going to take then? It's not uh, just it's not just gated access to tweets, is it? I th- no, I think it's I think it's about uh, the the phrase that I've seen used a lot is bonus content, right? So I think it's access to other stuff, additional stuff. Um, Basically, Patreon. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, pretty much. But with tiers, or is it literally just like, hey, if you subscribe to this, you know, one size fits all subscription thing, then you'll get access to I don't know drafts of things that I'm writing or, you know, exclusive photos. Oh my word, can you imagine access to people's drafts? drafts (laughs) They've not really released many details yet because they've not really got a timeline for launching it. They just kind of floated the idea um, and said that, you know, this this is what they've got on the horizon. But it's, I think it's, at the moment they said it's bonus tweets, access to like community groups and and they've also announced like a community group feature. Um, I think the the interesting part of this is the usual Twitter reaction. (laughs) Which is like the, the RIP Twitter hashtag. That has been, I swear to God, that's been going every time Twitter has announced any change for the past decade. Do you remember when they went to 280 characters? People yeah. were just like, this is the death of Twitter. Yeah. So, but this is, this is more, you know, this is more integral than just a new feature. This is effectively a way of, I suppose, helping people monetize okay, themselves through Twitter. There's also a part of this that I didn't quite get onto, and that is that, um, as part of these super followers, you can also get access to a newsletter subscription, which is where the uh, yep. review acquisition comes in. So they're kind of trying to tie it all in. So if, if you're somebody like, I suppose, Casey Newton, for want of a better example, y- you can follow Casey Newton on Twitter and then also subscribe to his newsletter, get bonus tweets and kind of get that community around his newsletter. And because they will own the newsletter platform, well, they own a great newsletter platform, it'll then be a way to kind of tie all that yep. together around individuals. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I think that the... the, the, the 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 package aspect of this is what's important. Not it's not that's what the Twitter reaction seemed to be. People thinking that Twitter was going to make people pay for tweets. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And oh that, my god! Can you imagine how fun, that would kill the service? That's absolutely not the point. No. But um, the, the number of people that say I can't believe this website's free, and it's like, well, it doesn't have to be anymore. Doesn't have to be. You can help support your favorite creator. I suppose that is. Everything was moving that way anyway, wasn't it? People are always looking for new ways to monetize their own hard, you know, hard creative content. And this, if it's tying into review and it is offering those bonuses, this seems to me something that some certain <laughs> that certain people could potentially use well. I don't think it's for everybody. Yeah. 
Definitely. So, for it, instance, I can't do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> because, not, because everything I do on Twitter is garbage. <laughs> I, I also th- my, <clears throat> sorry. I also think it depends on how you use Twitter. You know, <laughs> the way we use Twitter typically is to respond to other people or say, this is good, this is bad, share something or whatever. Mm. There's other people that, you know, they've got full-on 20-part tweet threads that have got insane value. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of different tools that people have had to use to get around that. There's the unroll feature where you can you yep. know, create them all into sort of one long article almost. So in a way, if you can sort of gate some of that behind the paid content, that makes sense for those people, as you said. But- I, I just, I, the, the idea of paying for tweets, I'm really not behind, but I think that the community group, the newsletter subscription, that I can see working. I mean, is, is this honestly one of these things where we're, I mean, we're in the bubble, so it doesn't help, but people are looking at this from such a bubble's perspective that I'd love to know what like a normal person thought of this. A normie. Yeah, one of those filthy muggles. Like a, a, a civilian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somebody who's not in the, twi- the Twitter trenches day after day after day. But you know, like, we, we go we go on and on and on about newsletters, and actually, most people most people don't get newsletters. I think you've got to see this as a bigger Twitter play. I think Twitter is collecting just as Facebook has done over and over. It's collecting the best bits of other people's social media platforms. You know, there's the newsletter part of it, and then there's the audio part of it, and there's the Patreon part of it, and then they've also was it Spaces? Yeah, so that that's that's the version of Clubhouse. That's a Clubhouse it? thing, yeah. And then they've got uh, this community idea. So there's a bunch of stuff coming together here that they've they've put no time frame on any of this stuff. But if you look twelve months out. Or eighteen months out, this could actually be really quite interesting. Okay, so is there an opportunity here for publishers? Mm, not so much, and in fact, I think if anything, this is going to really this is going to bring up another flashpoint about yeah. how to what extent the journalists accounts. own their own brand. Yeah. But I'm thinking if if you've got like a niche community, so I'm thinking somebody like Simon Brew with film stories. Yeah, he could create a film stories newsletter and a community and like a clubhouse chat room type thing around his film stories brand i'm not i'm not suggesting the sort of thing cosmopolitan could do but if if you've got those kind of smaller niche loyal audiences there's i I think there's a bit of opportunity here yeah in principle absolutely it's definitely you know it's not going to be a one and done solution nobody's going to do this to the exclusion of any other you know community focused outlet but this it'd be interesting to see i think that you picking up simon brew with film stories is the perfect example of somebody who could do it really, really well and actually add value this way. Do you know what? Do you know what Twitter's going to have to do if people have to start paying for content on Twitter? Get some moderators. No. I mean, yes, but that's pretty much not. <laughs> Go on. Edit feature. No, yeah, not unless you get access to the draft tweets. They'll that's... have to. They they can't be putting stuff out that's half baked. They, they can't. Edit they cannot I'm put an, Okay, about. but maybe maybe so for the longer form <laughs> stuff. But for the like the tweets themselves, an edit button is just an absolute nightmare waiting to happen. 
I dispute that. I think they'd they'd a button works very well on Facebook. Oh, but it's just going to be so bad if you reply to somebody's tweet going like, "Hey, this is wrong, you f***ing idiot," <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <laughs> and all of a sudden they change it, then you just look like you're you're having a go at somebody for no reason. Well, no, because because so on Facebook you can see um, it, it comes up with a little flag saying it's been edited, and you can then see the edit history of the post. Okay, that's fine then. Okay, but the, I mean the crucial question is, what can media voices do with this? I'll take over the world, obviously. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh God, did I send that? Oh no, I think I've sent one of the draft tweets that I was looking at. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the panda. The, the, do you know the pandemic's got to you both? Oh, I'm Peter, I'm Peter with your fish mind. finger hot cross bun <laughs> mess. I'm interested week. in that idea. I haven't I'm tried that. In that. I, I think uh, that might I, work. I did try. I did have bacon and hot cross buns this weekend. Yeah, that would definitely work. No, amazing. it wouldn't. It's like a sweet. It's it's a sweet bread. It doesn't. Yeah, but go. you have, like, you have like, fish, bacon with pancakes. Why can't fish fingers work? Oh. I reckon you get fish fingers and tartar sauce in a hot cross bun. I reckon that's <laughs> delicious. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And on that note, onto the news in brief. Uh, so the latest on the Facebook Google Australia situation, uh, as predicted, this is moving very, very quickly. Um, Facebook pretty much, what was it, Tuesday last week, reversed its ban on sharing news content in Australia. I'm so glad that we... Can we get a handbrake turn sound effect? <laughs> I'm so well, glad. Well, I've actually just got a car outside. I, I could hear that, yeah. <laughs> um, so the government agreed to make amendments to the media bargaining law. Pressure worked. Who knew? Mm. Um, so the contribution the platforms make to news will now be taken into account. So basically, if they've given over enough, enough money, um, they're exempt from all of this. Um, and Facebook has also retained its rights to take Aussie news content down again in the future if things <laughs> don't go their way. So I'd say probably on balance, Facebook's come out of this very well. Mm. Okay, here's a bigger question on this. Do you think that despite all the nonsense that went on around this, do you think this has moved things forward? No, I think this is a terrible outcome. Yeah, what do you mean by forward? Do you mean progressed inevitably to the heat death of the universe? (laughs) No, I just mean it. I mean, in terms of the international debate, rather than just Australia. Um, no, no think, it's, it's, think, it's moved it in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think the die was cast the second that the Google deal was, the Google agreement was reached. Yeah. Because uh, that was when we started seeing people release, you know, other countries throw their hands to the ring there. I think Esther's completely right, it's going the wrong direction. There's a scary stat around this, and the uh, Google's 125 million cash deal that got announced last week, as expected, Almost 90% of that money is going to go to the three companies, which is News Corp, uh, Seven West Media, and Nine. I think that the other kind of big-ish winner was Guardian Australia. It sort of puts the lie to the idea that this is protecting journalism. It's not. It's just protecting the interests of those of that old guard. And I, you know, we said it on Twitter in the week. If I was somebody who had argued for this deal on the grounds that it would protect journalism, I would either be deeply ashamed of how naive I was, or I would be secretly pleased that my paymasters were doing really, really well out of it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, like, you know, the, the legislation they were pushing through was terrible, but the advantage of legislation is that everybody has to abide by it, rather than three companies getting all the money, and basically any other publisher in Australia is now high and dry. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> Awful. And also, <laughs> if I point out yet again that, that, that Google and Facebook have only committed to pay this money for three years... So um, anybody looking at their bank balances after three years, this is not sustainable. <laughs> There's still bigger issues to be dealt with here as well. It's not just about who pays for for news. There's all sorts of underlying stuff that needs dealing with in terms of 
I don't know, the right to distribute content. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. It just depresses me. No, I know. It's, I, uh, it's just all it's all wrong. It's yeah. just as wrong as your fish finger and hot cross buns. <laughs> hey. Well, thank you for saying that, so I have to have that bit in the edit now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, back in 1999, uh, Microsoft has teamed up with European publishers in a call for Australian-style legislation. Uh, They want to mimic this arbitration panel that's at the heart of the Australian legislation to establish a fair price. Nice to see someone put that in inverted commas. (laughs) For having publisher content on Facebook and Google. Um, (laughs) Is Microsoft just stirring this shit here? Yeah. What's going on? This is this is a classic one of those things when when one of your siblings knows that you're in trouble and just sucks up to your parents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate this. I, I I know how important this story is, but it just seems endless, mm. and I just it's so frustrating talking about it. Moving on, <laughs> <laughs> the former editors of British Music Monthly Q magazine, which sadly folded uh, due to pandemic pressures last July, are now launching their own weekly newsletter called The New Q, C-U-E, not Q, the letter. (laughs) Um, So that's going to be distributed via Substack and they're going to have interviews from artists, playlists and recommendations. This this is quite an interesting one, I thought. Quite an interesting approach from former editors. It's a nice story. Yeah, what's your take on this, Peter? You've always been a big advocate for the music. These guys know their stuff, absolutely they do. And I think their big issue is going to be how they're going to find subscribers, how they're going to find people. Because if they do find, you know, it's that classic 1,000 true fans idea. Mm. If they can find those people, I think they could do really well. I've got a bit of a a side question for you then. Mm. So if it's not in print, is the law still there for artists to appear in this? For exclusive content for interviews, yeah, I think so. I think I'm not saying there's not an allure for still with print, of course there is, but I think this kind of stuff is is got its own little halo because it is people that were associated with Q and these, as I said, these guys absolutely know their stuff. They were tastemakers at Q and and in other places, and that same kind of halo effect, I think, will draw people to work with them. Wonder if they could uh, make some exclusive tweets as well. You know, like The Quietus is a purely online publication and they do some amazing stuff and they get really good access. Mm. So I don't see why this shouldn't work. Uh, Except for they're going to have to find enough people to to subscribe. Well, get Rihanna on the cover of the first one. Oh, no. So Qatar-based news network Al Jazeera is launching a platform for conservatives in the US called Rightly. (laughs) Wrongly. I Honestly... It felt like, yeah, I just don't even know what to say about it. So it's aimed at Republicans who, quote, feel left out of mainstream media. What? And it will be led by a former Fox News journalist. Al Jazeera has had a presence in the US since 2013, although it has been much more left-leaning. There is, there is money in, Not in, 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 I suppose, boosting the martyr complex. But this, people on the right. This, this got quite a few of the Al Jazeera journalists really angry this week. Have you seen? No. Was yeah, there was, there was a bit of a backlash. They they didn't want to be associated with the company that were launching this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, in other good news, the I newspaper is doing pretty well. They got some money from DMGT to invest in 20 new journalist jobs. Crucially, that means 
means there's a merger between print and digital teams for the first time, which is a little surprising. You would have thought that might have already been done. Yeah. Have either of you heard from the print wing of Media Voices for a while? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Didn't we print out a Media Moments report? (laughs) That's true, yeah. This week I spoke to Hannah Taylor, editor and founder of The Delicate Rebellion. We spoke about her print magazine showcasing the work of independent female creatives, the community that has grown out of the magazine and her new online shop. But first she told me how crappy teachers led her eventually to start her own magazine to encourage women to follow their creative passions. For me, it goes right back to my school days when I was in high school and, you know, I'd always had this interest. I was always quite a creative little kid and always had an interest in the arts. And um, I I think I genuinely thought when I was at school that I'd have a good run at a career in the industry. But um, when I got into high school, teenage angst, I guess, paired with some... I had the most uninspiring teachers. It completely (laughs) derailed my dreams. Um, I was a bit of a daydreamer at school. Um, I didn't really have a lot of attention span for the work that was being presented to me, like the curriculum stuff. And I felt like I was quite quickly left behind when I got into around third year. Um, my art teacher in particular had a she, I guess I think she actually had the longest term negative impact on my confidence. Like it's still, it's some of the things that she said to me back then have, you know, they still kind of rear their ugly head with me today. Um, She had so many opinions on my work. um, And I think back then it kind of frightened me into handing anything in at all. Um, And yeah, and I think because art was a subject that I really thought, I genuinely thought I was good at it. So I couldn't understand why she was always, you know, trying to uh, chip away at my confidence, that actually seeped into the other subjects that I'd taken at school. And and yeah, like, as I said, even to this day, I have quite a lot of anxiety about showing my work. Um, And, you know, I always get really nervous around launch time because I'm like, oh, you know, I feel like the magazine is such a personal thing to me anyway. Um, I'm almost like, hey, look at this thing that I've made rather than giving it like, you know, big licks and um, telling everyone to buy it. Um, So, yeah, I definitely still struggle with that. Post uni, um, looking for a wee project to keep my fingers in the pot of what I'd learned in magazine publishing. Um, I was obviously a single mum at the time as well, so I couldn't actually you know, I couldn't follow sort of my my buddies down to London to find a job in like a great magazine down there or whatever. I was kind of tied to Edinburgh's where my support network is for Sky. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, you know, was just trying to clutch at straws really and think, start something here, start a wee project here that'll keep things ticking over, build your experience. And, um, and yeah, that's when I started She Is Fierce which has now become Delicate Rebellion. Um, Yeah, so I guess right at the beginning, I had no idea it was going to grow arms and legs and that four and a half years later that I'd be um, sitting here um, publishing magazines for a living. 
what you've said right at the beginning, that idea that your confidence get knocked at school and then you, you kind of, you know, you went a different route into magazine publishing. How, how do you see those two connected? I feel like the, I, I definitely feel like the magazine is a, like, it is a personal project. It does feel like it encompasses my sort of mood and feeling towards the creative industries. And it does stem back to that time at school where I was so nervous to put things out. Um, and I feel like, I feel like my story my story, my high school story is actually relevant to so many people. Like when I've chatted to people about their time at high school and, you know, the delay that it took them to actually sort of embrace some something in something creative that they're passionate about, you know, like whether it's like embroidery or painting or fine art, um, a lot of people come to it in later life. And there seems to be a sort of thread in that um, at some point in their life they've been undermined or their work has been undermined or questioned in a way that um, it didn't necessarily need to be um, spoken about and and that was kind of the thing that made them put the lid on it for a little while so I think with a magazine the way that it kind of encompasses that feeling it, it attracts people I don't know that I, I just I feel like the way that the way that it's it's like a gentle approach to um, the art world. And um, I've always said that your vibe attracts your tribe. So I genuinely feel that the people who pick up the magazine feel that kind of soft, um, you know, a gentle approach to putting their work out there. Um, so how did, you, how did you get from the idea that she's fierce? That's a Shakespeare quote, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. How did you get from that to Delicate Rebellion? What changed, I guess, is what I'm asking you. A lot and not a lot, actually. Um, she is Fierce was the project that I started when I left uni. It was a project for teenage girls. So it was really, really pulling from that experience that I had at school. And also because I had, you know, I had Sky, who at that point was, I think, maybe 10, uh, 9 or 10 years old. Um, and seeing the kind of media that she was uh, consuming. Um, so that's where the She Is Fierce came from. Um, I had no idea at that point that it was going to grow arms and legs. Um, I literally thought that I was just going to publish our initial zine, um, which was like funded on Kickstarter. We printed 300 copies. Um, it, you know, the, it was basically sent out to all the people who backed our Kickstarter um and you know I kind of thought is this just going to be it is this my little project but it kind of grew arms and legs from you know I I spoke at MAGFest and I spoke about the the project then and it kind of that was the catalyst for it continuing um but then I think maybe even after issue two of She Is Fierce I started to change um, I was becoming more confident in the way that I was publishing the magazines um, and, you know, I was feeling uh, more of a sort of disconnect with the teenage audience just because um, a lot of the feedback from the magazines uh, was that 
if you're creative, like cre- creativity knows no age. So um, when you're talking about the arts, you know, someone at, at 50 or 60 years old can pick up a magazine talking about a painter as well as a 15-year-old girl can pick up the same magazine and feel just as inspired. So I kind of felt like I was doing myself a disservice by pigeonholing just for teenage girls, as well as the fact that if you label something for teenagers, they don't want it. You know, it's like, um, so that became quite apparent to me. Um, And I, I actually never liked the name She Is Fierce, like, it always gave it I don't know there was just something really twee about it you know when I used to go to events and it said like pick up your badge here and it was Hannah Taylor she is fierce I was like oh god you know (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah I just you know I kind of wanted to shake that off because I hadn't really put a lot of thought into the name it was started as a little project I hadn't expected it to turn into a business and um had I been had I been um, or had I had the foresight of that, I would have definitely changed the name before I started publishing. So I printed four four issues of She Is Fierce um, because, you know, I've got basically got OCD and I was like, I can't finish on three. I can't finish on two because it looks like I failed. So I was pushed for, like I pushed through until we got to issue four and then um, made the decision to uh, rebrand Delicate Rebellion, which feels much more fitting for us and it feels much more fitting for our audience. So where's Delicate Rebellion at now? It's more than just a magazine, right? It is definitely more than just a magazine. Um I mean at the at the heart of at the heart of everything is the magazine because that's my biggest passion. Um and without that I I couldn't be doing the rest. But without the rest of the stuff that we do, I couldn't possibly maintain our pages so all of the different elements of the business the collective the store our workshops events um all of that goes to underpinning my pages so um they kind of go hand in hand but definitely if if the magazine wasn't a part of that then i i can guarantee i wouldn't be doing the rest of it because the it's it's the magazine that's my passion um but yeah, I guess like now Delicate Rebellion is, it has grown from She Is Fierce. We did have a great community around She Is Fierce. Um, we did some events that were really well attended and um, yeah, just really lovely, great events that at that time we weren't seeing so much of. Um, so we had like curated markets. Um, we had, um, you know, sort of full days full of like inspiration, young artists coming to do spoken word and um, we did live podcasting. We did, um, we had like um, like fashion shows and, and things like that. And it, it was very like, it, I, I do feel like at that point it was quite ahead of what was going on um, for young people back then. Um, but now for Delicate Rebellion, our our biggest asset is still our community. Um, it all stem, stems from the pages of the magazine because we feature both well-established artists and designers as well as fresh-faced graduates in the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are super welcoming of people um, at every stage and every age. 
Um, so regardless of where you are uh, with your um, creative practice, or even if you don't, obviously you don't have to be a creative to read the magazine. Um, but yeah, we, we really do bring everybody into the fold. What is it you're trying to get across to people? I think it's just to sort of um, encourage people to put put their passions out there. Like, don't be afraid to to give it a go. Like, like we're absolutely not suggesting that everyone who, you know, enjoys picking up a paintbrush or, um, you know, can, you know, s- stitch something beautiful onto a T-shirt should try and make a, a buck from their passions. But that's absolutely not what we're, we're trying to encourage. We just want people to not be afraid to do it. Um, so I, I feel like the the features that we that we pick for the the magazines, we really do make a conscious effort of bringing people who are just doing it for the the sheer love of it, um, as well as people who are sustaining a career out of what they've what they've learned to love during their life, something that they're super super passionate about doing. And the workshops, obviously, you've taken all that online. Yeah, yeah. So we don't do workshops um, ordinarily that are open to everyone. We have a community called The Collective. Um, we're now in our third year, so it's a closed doors community. So we open to new members every summer for like a like a month. Um, and then people can join us. And then once they're in, they sit with us for 12, 12 months. Right. Um, and... Yeah, so it's a space for creatives who are looking to level up their practice in the industry. So it is for those people who do want to turn a buck from their passions. Um, And that's kind of come from my journey, trying to make money from the magazine and finding it really difficult. Um, And, you know, speaking to the, the girls that we feature in the magazine, a lot of them have been through the same process, but maybe in different niches of the creative industry so like fashion design graphic design service providers um you know traditional artists um so and everyone through that has picked up skills that are that are actually transferable to one another so from having these conversations um through interviews and things like that for the for our own magazine um, it became apparent that we could all really help each other out. We've all, you know, we've all found parts of our businesses that, you know, have worked for us and unlocked maybe like more sales or, you know, like a little tip over here for um, email marketing or um, I know this really great person that can help with SEO. Um, and I just thought if we pull all our ideas together, um, we can definitely all sort of, um, the momentum would be greater for us all going forward, as well as having that sort of shared accountability as well. So the collective is definitely, it's like a little melting pot of uh, creatives with from all different backgrounds um, and now from all over the world actually as well. We all come together every two weeks for workshops on things like... Um, yeah, like SEO, mailing lists, building your website, um, copywriting for your business, social media. Um, actually, just off one this afternoon, we had one today on um, product photography. So it's all those little things that you need to know about 
starting a creative business but nobody actually there's not one you know you can't just go to uni and learn how to do absolutely everything to to do with launching a business and so it's a lot of little it's like a pick and mix of Mm -hmm. all the things that you you need to know as well as having the motivation of those creatives around you so you don't feel so alone um, yeah. because it's it is it's like it's such a it can be such a lonely space trying to put something out there into the world and you know as I said like harping back to my school days it's you know it's terrifying being like hey I made this thing have a look and then having people what you think is having people judge you for it um, so knowing that you're in a group with you know hundreds of other people who are in the same position and seeing somebody just putting themselves out there with with no worries and full confidence it really can rub off on you um so yeah so the collective is is definitely a a, it's become a huge part of um of the delicate rebellion and from that we've actually now launched our store which launched just friday there um and the products in there a lot of them come from my community a lot of them come from the girls in the collective and it's been amazing to see them um you know talk about developing these products and then seeing them come to life and then actually giving them the platform now sharing my platform with them to help push their products out there it's it really it just feels like a natural progression. How do you decide what you're going to sell in the shop? <laughs> well, <laughs> if I like it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, yeah, it just, I just think, you know, I, I, I feel I feel like as like a, like a curator of a magazine and a curator of a shop, it, for me, it genuinely is like, you know, as I said, I feel quite close to my, my community. I feel like I know them very well. Um, I know who my readers are. I know what they like because they're just like me. So um, I just, yeah, I just kind of pick things that that I would really, that I would really like. You can tell someone's business is changing when you see that they're hiring staff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. Obviously, like I, when I started, I was, I had a full-time job, like a crazy full-time job as well. It wasn't even, you know, it was like more than full-time as well as raising Sky on my own and doing the magazine and the first year of the collective. Um, it was just too much. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So um, once I gave up my job and I thought, oh, this is going to be so much easier because I've got all this time, but still doing it on your own, it was like, oh my God, like even just thinking about it makes my heart like stop. I think when you're kind of picking your team, you need to, you need to realize that um, you're not, you're not, I think for me, I always felt that I was expected just to do everything. I'm very much like, if I can't do something, I'll learn how to do it and I'll do it. Um, And that maybe comes from being a single mum as well. I'm quite proud to kind of, take ownership of things and see things from start to finish um but yeah soon after soon after going solo in the magazine like not having a day job I realized that I can't do it alone I can't actually do everything um and that I'm shy at a lot of things 
when it came to the collective, relaunching the collective last year, I just thought, I don't want to do it again on my own. I just don't think I could, you know, I was just, I was so exhausted. The it, It's a lot of work, you know, the, and, and probably felt like more work for me as an introvert, having to push myself into an extrovert space. So the last thing we ask all our guests is, what was the last piece of media that you consumed, which is a horrible phrase, um, that you liked, that moved you, that made you laugh, made you cry, or that you'd really, what would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, well, I have been absolutely um, loving a podcast um, called Song Exploder. Oh, oh you know it. Yeah, <laughs> it's honestly like I just I absolutely love it. Um, I'm really I'm quite big into music, and I stumbled across this um, podcast when I was packing up hundreds of issues um, of the, the the most recent issue in my brother's garage. Believe it or not, um, and yeah, I just think it's like the best thing ever to hear artists break down the approach to different tracks that they've created. Um, it kind of feels similar to the way that the magazine is curated um, the different layers that are added on. And I just find it really interesting and quite uplifting as well. Thank you once again for listening. And please do tell anyone you think might like a weekly media news roundup to listen to. Um, if you want to keep us going with coffee, um, hopefully Chris will edit this so that, so that all our stumbles are out. But we do need coffee to keep us going. You can throw us a virtual Ko-Fi on our Ko-Fi page. That's true. Uh, we should just do a really badly edited episode <laughs> once, just so people can see how much we need coffee. <laughs> we should. Uh, so yes, that's ko-fi.com/slash/media-voices, or you can go to voices.media/slash/support, and that will really help with uh, covering some of our operating costs. And coffee costs. Actually, while you're over there, while you're at Voices.media, which is not media.voices as some people have mistakenly typed in, you can sign up for our daily newsletter. It contains four of the most important media stories of the day as curated by the Media Voices team and a link to our latest episode. And if you don't want to go to Voices.media or even media.voices, go to publisherpodcastawards.com because there you can see the short list for the Publisher Podcast Awards. Over 120 podcasts, all brilliant, all being judged as we speak for our awards at the end of April. And if you'd like to join us for those awards, you can sign up for a ticket, pay what you can, um, or buy a little gift box that will let you have a drink and a chocolate while you watch the awards ceremony virtually online. That's publisherpodcastawards.com. But until next week, when we'll be back with a fantastic guest and another tour through all the news and the views from the media world over the past week, thank you very much for listening and stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye.